and the importance of the church. But I want to start off in Matthew chapter 22 in verse 34. And it says this, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, and they were, they gathered together. So they're like, uh, it'd be like CNN and MSNBC. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have said it like that. But. Anyways, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So, again, I'm I'm bringing this up because we have to understand that God loves us. And these are the main commandments. It's hard to love God. When you're not sure that he loves you. Right? We go through the motion of loving God. But then there's things that we struggle with. Because we're not sure that he loves us. What would it be like. If we knew that he loved us. And we loved him in return. And that's why I bring this up. Because um, I was listening to the radio. About two weeks ago. And. The guy spoke up and he said, we have a love deficit in the world. And his point being that we don't know that we're loved by God. And therefore, we don't love God. But if you take it to the next step out of this verse, then we don't know how to love one another. Because our loving one another is going to be a reflection of how... We are loved by God and how we love God. So if we're struggling with God loving us, then we're going to struggle with loving God and loving others. Because it's one thing to say that you can love God because we don't see him. It's another thing to try to love somebody you see. And perhaps you don't necessarily like, but you have to love them anyways. And so when he said that we have a love deficit, it was like, wow, that is, that's really, to me, it was profound. So we have to know that he loves us when things are going well, just as much as when things aren't, when our health is good, when our health isn't good, when we are bearing much fruit, and when he comes in and he decides it's time to prune us and it doesn't look like there's much life going on. We have to know that he loves us. And I just want to read because it's, uh, important that we get this, Romans 8, 31 to 39, with one scripture out, which is 36, but it says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, that should be enough. Okay? But when we're going through a trial, we act like everybody's against us. The whole world is against us, and even God, right? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And I just want to remind you, he will graciously give us all things. What are the all things? Whatever you have need of when you're going through that trial. And he won't give it 
like some of us give it and like us as parents have given it to our children at times begrudgingly and like it's a chore. He graciously gives it to us. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So he's trying to point out that God is for us. And, you know, he's interceding for us. He's on our side. He's not our enemy. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. And I just want to remind you, these words that are being spoken here, they were spoken when they were experiencing every one of these. They were experiencing tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. And what Paul meant by sword is death. There were killings that were happening. And so he goes through all of that, but then Paul has to really make sure that we're getting it. And he continues in verse 37, knowing all these things. What things? In the tribulation, in all the distress, in all the persecution, in all the famine, in all the nakedness, in all the danger, in all the sword. He says, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. We have to get that. And how are we more than conquerors? Through Him who loved us. Mm. And I I think our heart's biggest prayer is, is that we get it and that we as a group, we get it. We understand the love of God. We know that He loves us. No matter what we're going through, we understand that He loves us. Verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, and you know, we're just looking at the tip of the iceberg as far as problems, but we're also looking at the tip of the iceberg as to the love that God has for us. We, you know, you should pray that prayer about the eyes of our understanding being open to the love that He has for us. Because we need to know that He loves us. And the reality is, is we will never be able to exhaust the love of God, even when we get to heaven. That's how amazing His love is. Oh, and then I want to remind you of First Peter chapter five, verse seven, where he says, "Casting all our all your anxieties on him because he cares for you." You see, through all of this, and as we looked at prayer, we looked at the fact that he loves us, and then we looked at prayer, and how God has invited us to invite him into our circumstances. And why will we do that? Because he has the answers. He is the answer. He has all the promises that are in the word of God. They're there for us so that when we're in need of them, we can call upon him. And we have to know that he loves us so much and he's given us these promises that when we come to him in prayer, 
we have to know that he hears us and that he wants to answer us. You know, it's no sense in praying if you don't believe God hears you or that he will answer you. There's no sense in praying. So we have to be to that place where we realize that he is more than willing to answer our prayers. When we understand the love that God has for us, our prayer life goes from uncertainty to certainty. Goes from begging God to declaring what God has done. It goes from not having hope to having hope because we know that we can trust Him. We broke down 1 Peter chapter 5 and Verse 7, and it comes down to the fact that He cares for us. We can fling all of our burdens onto Him. And He will be our beast of burden, if you remember that message. And what an awesome God that He is. If you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And so prayer is finding our rest in what God has promised for us in Christ Jesus. Because He loves us. And so we're looking at the Father's heart. How much He loves us. We're looking at the power that we have in prayer, realizing that because He loves us, He's given us these promises. He's not our enemy. We can trust Him. We can rest in Him. We can relax, knowing that He's going to work all things out for our good. Amen? And so then, this brings us to our Father's heart and the church. And being able to see God's heart in the church. And to me, this is such an amazing thing. And so the first thing that we need to do is know what church is. And to know that what church is, first of all, is God's idea. It's not man's. It's not the disciples. It's not the apostles. It was God's idea. God established the church. He created the church knowing that it will be made up of fallen, redeemed, imperfect people who are at various stages of maturity. Isn't that awesome? Aren't you thrilled with that? I mean, who could have come up with a greater plan than this? My father-in-law used to always say that God gathers us together from different backgrounds, different races, different faces, different everything. He brings us together and he says, okay, now love one another. And that's really what God is doing with the church. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 11. And here's the, Paul's describing of the church. Ephesians 2.11 Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel 
and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So this isn't a good picture of the, for the Gentiles. Okay? Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus. Everybody say, but now. Here comes the good part. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. In other words, everything that was against us, everything that would cause God to have his wrath on us, Jesus took care of. Now we're coming into that place. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Isn't that awesome? So now he's saying that through Christ we all have access to the Father, through the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. So then. That was good. A little weak, but good. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Isn't that awesome? So fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. So it doesn't matter what our background was before. It doesn't matter how much trouble we caused, how little trouble we caused. Uh, whatever it is, we all come to the same playing field and we become part of the members of the household of God. We're counted in as saints. Verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Isn't that awesome? And so God is growing us into a holy temple in the Lord. So that spiritually as well as physically. Okay? And this is the Paul's describing the church. But this verse I love in particular, verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 2. And it says this. In him... You also, say you also, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Hallelujah. This is the description of the church. We come to Christ, we get born again, then we become part of the family of God. God bringing many together from all different backgrounds, some messed up backgrounds, all different past, and he brings us together. He knows how we are. He knows how that the fact that we're made of dust, that we're not very smart. 
He knows all our weaknesses. He knows all our insecurities. He knows all of our sins. He knows all of our failures, not just the ones that we've done in the past, but even the ones we're going to do in the future. He knows them all. He calls us from all different temperaments and personalities and all the quirks that go with them. And he calls this the church. Now, I used to say this, and as I have been meditating on this and looking at this, I used to tell you, and I, and I will tell you, that God is not afraid of our past. And I would always take that as singular. He's not afraid of my past. He's not afraid of your past. He understands how we are. But do you know the same mindset goes with Him for the church? He's not afraid of our past. He's not afraid of our failures. He's not afraid of what we've messed up. He's the organizer. He's the creator of the church. And he knew that as individuals, we would mess up even though the Spirit of God lives in us. And he knows the same is true for the church. That God is not afraid to pour His Spirit out into us individually, but He's not afraid to pour His Spirit out as we gather together as a church as well. He's not afraid of that. He's not afraid of, are we going to do everything right? We don't have to walk on pins and needles. We don't have to be afraid of stepping out and wondering, is He going to be pleased with it? Is it the right thing? We don't have to do that individually, but we don't have to do that as a church either. He's bigger. If he's willing to fill us, then obviously he's willing to fill a church with his spirit. Do you understand that God still thought it was a good idea to create the church with all the problems we were going to have? And do you know when, I, when you hear somebody having a moral failure or other things and they're always concerned with, well, this is just a black eye for the church. Okay. What's next? God is not afraid. So if God isn't afraid, then we can't be afraid either. God isn't afraid of me. He's not afraid of me belonging to His church or anyone else for that matter. Belonging to His church is what He designed. Us with all of our frailty, all of our weaknesses, everything that I've mentioned in the past, everything that you think that you are, He still decides that it's worth it for us to be His church. When we understand this, we won't have a big head. <laughs> big head. 
we won't think of ourselves more than we ought. Yes. When we understand this, there's not room for pride. I mean, you can, but you shouldn't. Because God, He's... Here's the reality. In my life, when, when, when we look at my life, my life really isn't about me. It's about Him in me. It's about me glorifying Him. And He wasn't afraid. The reality is, even with the church, the church isn't about the people in the church. It's about God. And we'll look at this more next week. But it's not about us. We exist for Him. We come together for Him. Now, yes, we come together for each other, and we'll get into that. But our primary focus needs to be Him. Because the church is really about God. Our Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit all being able to come together, not just with one person, but with many. God established the church just as much as He created each and every one of us as individuals because He wanted to pour out His Spirit upon us so He wants to do that with the church as well. He wants the church to be that place, to be filled with people where His Spirit is being poured out on. And we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have everything right. We don't even have to have everything figured out. But what we have to do is trust Him and know that this is His plan. And that God loves the church because in reality it's about Him, not about us. Even though we make up the church. And for this reason it's so important to be established in a church and to meet together on a regular basis. We all understand that Individually, we are the church. We make up the church, whether it's this church or the church as a whole of the body of Christ. But we make that up. But it's also important that we understand that the church is also a building. It's a meeting place where we do have the freedom to come together. You know, because we hear this so much that, well, the church isn't the four walls. No, it's not. But yes, it is. We have to have a place to meet. We have to have a place to come together. Now, the four walls can all look different. You know, what works for one may not work for everybody. But the point is, is we all have to come together. And we have to be willing to meet together as well if we're going to say that we're part of the church. It's important that we come together so that we can share life together. The good, the bad, and the ugly of life. We need each other and we need to meet with each other on a regular basis at a regular place. We need to know that we can count on one another. We need to know that um, in good times we have somebody that will rejoice with us. In bad times we have somebody who will comfort us. And give us strength. And if need be, to mourn with us. Maybe you've lost somebody. And, and you need that 
the people around you to support you and to mourn with you. That's why we need each other. We need to know what is going on. If you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter, nine, or chapter 10, please. Hebrews chapter 10. It's important that we understand that we do need each other. Whether things are going well or things are going bad. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer starts off in verse 19 and he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and we've looked at this through the tearing of the veil from the top, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Isn't that awesome? Now, it's kind of hard to stir one another up in love and good works if we don't see each other. If we don't know what you're going through. Because your good works might be encouraging somebody who's going through hell right now. You know, I remember the testimony of Randy about three weeks ago when he talked about how uh, a neighbor of his has lost uh, a parent and how Randy, losing both of his parents recently, he was able to go and share with them and bring comfort to them. That's what it's all about. And so it's important that we understand that he, because of what he went through, and he made it because of the support of other people in this church. He made it. Then he's able to pass that on to somebody else who's going through it. That's what, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds or good works. And then verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we're not to neglect meeting together, but encouraging one another. Again, it's hard to encourage somebody if you don't see them on a regular basis. And then he says, all the more as you see the day drawing near or the return of Christ. But let me remind you of this, because sometimes we read these and we don't understand what they're going through. They're going through everything that we read in Romans chapter 8 about the tribulations, the, the distress, all of that. The persecution, the famine, the nakedness, the, the danger, the sword. They're living this and he says, don't neglect the gathering together. Don't neglect coming together. Why? Because we're going to encourage one another. And they thought that the return of Christ was soon and they knew things were going to get worse. And so they're like... 
make sure you're together. And so it's important for us to make sure that we understand the importance of the church. And again, it's hard to encourage people when you don't see them. We all go to our own homes. We go to our different jobs. And this is the place that we see one another. And it's important that we acknowledge that and understand that. I believe I have the amplified version coming up next of these. Can you put the next one up? Good. Hebrews 10.24 in the amplified. It says, And let us consider and give attentive, continuous care to watching over one another, studying how we may stir up Stimulate and incite to love and helpful deeds and noble activities. Isn't that awesome? I'm telling you, if you're just sitting at home doing nothing, it's hard to do this. When we come together and we worship God, and then we allow His Spirit to move and somebody has a word and it helps us, that's what it's all about. Verse 25 in this, Hebrews 10.25 in the Amplified. Not forsaking or neglecting to assemble together as believers, as is the habit of some, but admonishing, warning, urging, and encouraging one another. And all the more faithfully as you see the day approaching. In other words, they're anticipating, the writer of this is anticipating even more difficult days, harder times, more persecution, more beatings, more killings. Because of Christ. Because of their faith in Christ. And he says, don't neglect the meeting together. And then, that has a lot of words. And then you have the New Living Translation that is real simple. So I, I want to read that starting in verse 23 though. Hebrews 10.23 in the New Living Translation. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep His promises. Or promise. Verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Isn't that awesome? Verse 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. Whether we like it or not, we need each other. That's the way God made us. I share this. This is, I've shared it before, but if you've been to funerals and, and I'm officiating over it, this is what you're going to hear, that God did not create them as an island. He created them to share life with somebody else, to rub shoulders with somebody else, to be a part of somebody else. He doesn't create us as individuals and then just leave us. And matter of fact, when He creates us, whether we like to admit it or not, He creates us into a family. Because He wants us to be able to learn how to love one another. With all of our faults and failures, shortcomings and weaknesses, 
God has said and determined that we still need each other. We still need to rub shoulders with one another. As much as the church is made up of individual people, the church is also that place, that building, where we gather together and we share life together and we become family to one another. There is no church that is perfect, but our Father is. And we find Him and His heart in church, in the family that He gathers together on a regular basis. We need each other. There's no other way to put it. And I want to remind you, church is not man's idea. This is God's idea. This is His institution. He has established this. Um, You'll hear it next week, but I'll just tell you anyways again because it won't hurt you to hear it next week either. When we change the name of our church, we put family in it on purpose. New Life Family Church. We know church is like a family, but we wanted to let people know this is family. This is family. Stand with me. Now I will tell you, we'll go through this. And then I have to go back to prayer um, after we finish this part on the church. Because when I was up with Lou Engle, the he was sharing on some things and it dawned on me that I missed a good reason for prayer and a good reason to believe God to answer prayer. So I'm going to, when we're done with this part, I'll go back to that. And uh, But I just wanted to give you a heads up. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day and the love that you have for us. And again, we're so grateful for this time that we can gather together. Lord, we thank you for calling us together as a church in this building that we can encourage one another, that we can stir one another up for love and good works. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in us and through us and for us. And Lord, we ask that when we're not together that you would be glorified, but we ask that when, you, when we come together as a church body that you will be glorified as well. And Father, I pray that when we come together that we realize it's, it's not really about us anyways. It's about you. It's about you and it's about your glory. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, go out and have a great week. See you Tuesday if you can at Debbie's for the...